Hello, and welcome to Talk and Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent. I'm here today with Chris. Hey. TJ. Yep. And David. Hello. And we are, uh, this is the first of our retrospective podcasts about 2018, the year of Talky Talk, as it shall be known to history. Whoa. <laughs> we just don't know it yet. Trust us. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is we've already peaked. <laughs> yep. George, oh, no. George Carlin has arrived in a phone booth, and we are very integral to future society. <laughs> yep. Um, no, we're uh, this this podcast. We're going to be talking about our favorite uh, TV shows and video games from 2018, as well as uh, unfortunately, we're going to be talking about our worst movies that we saw uh, last year. Ugh. They, they can't all be. Winners, yeah, yeah. Everybody tr- tried hard, but they can win my list of worst movies. There you go. True. So there's it's a consolation true. prize. <laughs> we have we have a winner. We're all winners here. Uh, so we're gonna actually start with video games. Um, what were the video games that uh, that we played in 2018 and uh, th- that we liked? And by we, we mean David and Chris. That stood out. Is <laughs> you played a couple. In fact, yeah, it's probably easiest for me to start. Uh, I bought one new video game that came out in 2018. Uh, I didn't get too far into it, but I, I loved what I saw, and that was Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm. It was a, uh incredible game. I can't wait to get back to it at some point, and uh, I've already talked about it on the podcast, but why it's, why it's great. Uh, also, it's also not really a game that needs a lot of... Uh, Adver- advertising yeah. for people is yeah. the biggest game of the year. So biggest media release ever. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard of it, then you don't care about this section at all. Yeah. If you Google best games of the year, it'll be on that list, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> including ours, <laughs> especially Brent's. I just found a way easier way to just phone in all these lists. <laughs> just do one TV? of everything. No, just be like, hey, if you go Google best TV shows of the year, <laughs> you'll find some shows there. Yeah, pretty good list. Just, just look at that. If you Google David's favorites, it's on, it's on there somewhere. <laughs> on my Tumblr. Davies babies. <laughs> oh gosh. Let's shut down your Tumblr, David. David's favorites. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's it for me. It's the only new game I played last year. I only have three new games I played, so I guess I can go through those. Okay. Or are we going one at a time? It doesn't matter. I'll go through them for these since Chris is our sure in-house video game expert. So I only really played three new games. Um, the in the number three spot uh, is a mobile game, and it's a series I've recommended here before. Um, it is Rusty Lake game. They have like the kind of uh, point and click um, escape room mystery box type games. They came up with a game called Paradox this year. Um, it's uh, three parts to it. And it's, it's pretty interesting. The first part is free to play. The second part is a movie that they shot um, where all like the cartoon characters are actual live action people. And you can get clues for the other parts of the game through it. And it's, it's actually pretty pretty good... Uh, Pretty good production design for it, huh. and the third part is a uh, you have to pay to play the the final part of it. Um, it uses the same aesthetic that's really fun in those games. It's a very macabre game, where you know you're you're cutting things open. There are like jars of uh, brains and formaldehyde, and you know there's murder that you uncover and and dark possession and souls and memory exploration but with a great sense of humor to it mm. about uh about solving these things um there's a great 
puzzle you do that's in a globe that's really fun. Of you have to chart like there's this globe you uncover. You have to chart a path through it, and you just get these little vignettes of pictures. So you have to translate that picture into what it would look like on a globe. So like on the left huh. side of a picture, you see a forest. So you see like in the right side is a river. So you look like where in the map do I have like forest on the left side, and I got a river and kind of chart a path, and you get a key that way. And it's got some inventive stuff. Some some Fun. things that you've. Seen before if you've played these these kind of games, and uh, it's pretty hard, which I appreciate, and uh, pretty funny and pretty creepy. So, like all those things about it. Nice, nice. Murder with a dash of goofs. Yep. All Murder with a dash of goofs. <laughs> uh, my t- number two game, I was kind of turned on to it by Chris. Uh, Time Spinners. Yeah. It is a Castlevania Symphony of the Night clone. Almost to a litigious level, I would say. <laughs> um, but it's a Metroidvania game, and it's just really fun, nice, like, SNES sprite um, art in it. Um, pretty fun variety of weapons you can get. You get these orbs, and you're, you're a time spinner. You can go back and forth from the past to the present. Uh, I think, as Chris said, if you're in the past and you set a vine on fire, or if you do something in the past... Like you, you destroy a piece of machinery, it's broken in the present, and you can get your progress further. Um, it's just really fun. Nice variety of uh, monsters, and making it forces you to use different weapons rather than just using the same thing throughout the whole game. Um, you just you get a, a nice thrill with you know. There's a place you can't get to, then all of a sudden you get a relic that lets you double jump, and you go, oh my gosh, I. It, you get excited to go throughout the map again. Yeah, I remember all those places that I saw that were just out of reach. Yeah, it makes you kind of just go through the entire... It made me go through the entire map and just try to like double jump to all these places I couldn't get to before. Um, so nice. it's pretty fun. It also has a nice... Uh, the time mechanic is pretty fun where you can freeze time. And it's nice when you're fighting people to try to give you an advantage. But it's also great in the puzzles... That you may have like a a bat enemy that is hanging from the ceiling. You try to make him swoop at you, but if you freeze time appropriately, you can jump on him to get to a ledge that is inaccessible, and you get a treasure or uh, another piece of the map. So pretty pretty satisfying if you're into Metroidvania style game. Yeah, fun. And my number one game. It is a mobile game, and it's hard to call it much of a game. It's it's kind of an experience. It is uh, Florence. Oh, yeah. Kind of an indie developer game about a uh, a woman who um, falls in love. Is a woman who is a, a graphic designer or a visual artist, falls in love with this cellist. And their relationship kind of plays out throughout the game. It's really sparse animation style. It's kind of um, Scott Pilgrim, but even more abstract a little bit. And uh, just has... Uh, it's. It's a great, um, sorry, it's a great headphone experience for a mobile game because it has the like the most beautiful music I've heard in a game in a while. Um, like the the cello music that goes through it is is uh, is just wonderful in creating the scene, and you go through the first couple levels are kind of you go through. Well, they're not really levels, but you have your normal life, and you're kind of a solitary titular girl named Florence. You have your routine. You keep doing your routine, and eventually it kind of breaks down, and you meet someone different. 
and you got a relationship with your mom. And it's just a really, it's a moving experience to go through the, the whole thing. <clears throat> that um, is that is what I've heard about that game. Yeah. It's on a lot of, like, uh, like lists, year-end lists, just being praised for just its style and the sound and... You know, it's like a forty-five minute long game. Yeah, real short. It may, I think it's it's pay to play, but it's it's a worth it worthwhile experience. You know, if it was a you know hour long thing, it's probably one of the most uh, rewarding one hour experiences. I think I broke it up over a couple times, so I'm eager to play it again just because it's a just really interesting experience. <clears throat> Not much gameplay to it. You're kind of piecing together conversations. They make the gameplay a really good way to show the story, but you're piecing together this conversation, and it's really easy with your your boyfriend, and you kind of you fit dialogue puzzles together to kind of complete a a thought or a you know what the person is saying, and eventually over time it kind of breaks down where it gets faster and it's harder to piece together, and it's it really reflects like. You know, love coming together and kind of dissolving just as uh, just as uh, momentously for the character. Nice. I think it's really it's really moving. My number one. Nice. That's yeah, moving. It's a, a rare quality in video games. I think. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. Uh, Chris, how about you? <clears throat> um, well, I will say I know that we had this is not the uh, the year end uh, recommendations, but I will say that based on that. And what I've heard, mm-hmm. David, you should play Gree. Yeah, it's a, I've heard about it. Um, it's supposed to be a similarly stylized game that is uh, uh, digestible. Not really much game to it, but that's it's, you know the, the the storytelling seems similar. And Brent, I'm a little upset because you and I had a conversation uh, earlier in the year, and you were like, "Hey, did you see this thing? This Return of the Oberdin?" And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, I saw it, whatever. And now it's like getting a lot of praise on year end lists. Oh, nice. It so is, yeah. I would, I would say, check it out if you, if you want to. Yeah. Um, but I didn't play those games. <laughs> um, and I'll start my list off by saying there's two games that I didn't play that I enjoyed what I did play, but it feels cheap for me to put them on a list. And I need to play more God of War. I had a lot of fun playing that, and I need to play more Octopath Traveler. Um, you know, God of War, so much fun, you know, uh, with Kratos and his, as angsty dad with Atreus and angsty kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it was, it was a blast. I just got, you know, so lost with life that I just didn't have time to uh, pick it back up. And same with Octopath. It came to me kind of late in the year, mm-hmm. uh, when I finally got it and downloaded it. And, you know, Octopath is a traditional JRPG with some interesting combat mechanics, um, and I got through maybe like twenty percent of two of the eight, you know, titular characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> I want to get back to those, but I did have enough—not enough—but I played five good games this year that I want to highlight. And I'll start at number five, which is a game I probably played the most, uh, and it's a game uh, Slay the Spire. I've mm. talked about it on here before. It is a deck building single player uh, roguelike in that you choose a class. It gives you eight basic cards. And then as you work your way up the 50 floors of the spire, fighting enemies um, you know who display what they're going to do, you can choose to use your attack cards, your defense cards, or cards to do a special ability. 
Um, you know, it just just by the nature of it being a roguelike, it's different every time you do a run. Um, you're really only anchored down by your starting hand, but the cards that you get along the way after defeating enemies, you get to choose between one of three to add to your deck. Um, at certain points, you get an opportunity to remove cards. Um, all of the uh, prevailing wisdom is as soon as you can, get rid of those eight cards that you start with and mm -hmm. just build with these cards you unlock. Uh, and it makes it a lot of fun. Um, so I really like Slay the Spire. It's a game where, I, where when I sit down to like edit the podcast or do something, I can just also be doing on the other screen and just kind of like click away. There's no time limit or anything. Not like completely mindless, but right. enough to where you can do it. I've watched you play it up several times. It's yeah. Well, it's cool. I, I, I like games. Another game on my list has this element, but where like the enemy intention is displayed to you. So it's not about like action reaction. It's about like careful planning. Yeah. Like I know my, my deck has 12 cards in it. My hand of four cards is all attacks. Like I know that I'm going to draw a bunch of blocks next turn because my deck is half attack, half block. So I'm not worried about, you know, taking damage next turn, but like, what can I do this turn to kind of mitigate some of that? Because I've got all of my attack turns and then I know two turns away, you know, I'm not going to have as many of the resources that I have now, you know, it just, it's just, it's right. really, really basic card counting. And so adding a card to your deck every time, making your deck bigger and more unwieldy is almost a negative. And so even outside of planning for the combat, you have to plan for the overall deck building. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to kind of find synergies between certain play styles. You know, there's one of the characters you can just build nothing but like block and defense and then give yourself uh, like a, like poison effects. So you never do real damage, but over time you grind out enemies. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a, like a turtle style almost, but so it's great. I played it a bunch. Um, I would recommend it. I think it's like 15 bucks. Even if you don't like card games, it's not like that. If you think of it more like abilities that you unlock instead of cards, then you'll be just fine. Hmm. But my number four game and this one kind of surprised me. I'd forgotten about the release history of this. Is uh, Igarashi's uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. Mm, yeah. It's, speaking of Castlevania faithfuls, um, it is the... So, to give you guys some backstory, Igarashi is a developer who basically created Castlevania. Um, specifically, he was the architect behind Castlevania Symphony of the Night, often regarded as... One of the best games of all time. Mm -hmm. Certainly the best Castlevania game. You know, there might be another game, Rondo of Blood, that competes. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Symphony of the Night just did added RPG elements in such a smart way to the Castlevania series. People love it. This guy developed it. And so there was a Kickstarter for the game Bloodstained. And it's going to be a full release console, PC, whatever. Uh, just recently, not on Mac or Linux. Uh, but... So he kickstarted and was basically like, I'm going to make this game, Bloodstained. It's it's going to be my game. You're going to recognize it. It's going to be Symphony of the Night-like. Um, and he had a Kickstarter incentive that if they got to a certain dollar amount, he'd release like a 16-bit uh, like classic Castlevania-style game. And that's what this game is. Nice. Um, came out this year. Um, more like... Uh, Castlevania 3, the original Castlevania 3, um, in that you can switch characters on the fly um, and you unlock them as you go through. Um, 
But it's just a lot of fun. It's a Castlevania game, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like those style games. There's no, like, backtracking or, like, gated progress. It's completely linear. Mm-hmm. Not completely. You know, there's some branching paths within a level. Um, but the character variety is... It's it's varied enough that it's fun to, you know, play it all the way through just as, like, the sword guy. And then to play it with the more acrobatic rogue type and then the mage. Then you get, like, a vampire on your team who can transform into a bat and get you to areas that you can't get to normally. Mm-hmm. But it's a great little game. Nice homage to the 16-bit era. Nice. What's the platform for Bloodstained? Oh, I think it's on a lot of things. Okay. Um, you play it on computer? I played it on my Switch. Oh, okay. Um, and that's kind of a, a theme of this. Uh, I played a lot of these games on my Switch because they were it was on the go. Okay. Um, and you can play, I think, all these games other than... Uh, I wrote G-O-W, almost like Gears of War. God of War. You can't play on Switch. Right. Uh, my number three game, my top three are all really tight in where I have them ranked, so to me, one through three is irrelevant, but mm-hmm. the purpose of making a, rest, a list. My number three game is uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Um, just recently came out. I've just been sinking a ton of time into it. I love Smash Brothers. I've you know played it since the first game came out on 64. Uh, skipped Smash 4 just because I didn't have a Wii U because nobody had a fucking Wii U. Sure. Um, and it's just a great little platform fighter. Yeah. Um, and when I say little, I don't actually mean little. It's gigantic. There's yeah, like 70 playable characters. Yeah. Um, and they already have two downloadable characters announced. Uh, PD Piranha is going to be in it, which is weird because he's like stuck in a flower pot. Yeah. Uh, and then he'll be hopping along. Yeah, and then uh, the protagonist from Persona Five is going to be in it, uh, Joker. Yeah. Um, oh, there's some weird fucking characters in these games. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, this, you, the scariest one of this one is the Wii Fit. Yeah, the Wii Fit. The Wii Fit trainer is dead inside, <laughs> faceless, like more, but just like, oh my god, <laughs> she's just like standing there in like a yoga pose, like, looking through my soul. It's horrifying. Uh. The, yeah, there's still characters in there that I'm not really sure, like, how to approach. Like, they're they're from games I didn't play. They weren't in any Smash Brothers games that I played before. And I just, like, look at them and what they do, and I'm just like, I don't know. There's a character from Xenoblade Chronicles, which is an RPG series. Uh, and he's got this big sword. But because it's in, like, JRPG fashion, he, he can change stances and shouts every time he does. So it'll just be like, <laughs> so it'll just be like, you know, approaching, and then he'll just be like, jump! And she's like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, all this, like, rainbow-colored kanji appears on the screen, and it's just like, alright, I'm just gonna, like, I need to beat the shit out of this dude before he keeps shouting at me. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Really the most inventive part of the spirits, which are things... They're only applicable in like certain. It's like an on-off switch in multiplayer uh, where you can have them. You can you can elect to use them. They they add effects uh, to your fighter, whether that's like increased damage with punches or you know immunity to sleep effects. Um, but the way that you unlock them is what I've talked about before, and we'll talk about again. Um, and you do it in adventure mode too, the World of Light single player stuff. Um, but it is a great nostalgia trip uh, for a fan of games. Um, where I always struggle to find a good example with this. Like, if you're a fan of the Metal Gear Solid series, there is a sticker for Raiden, who's one of the playable characters in Metal Gear Solid 2. 
mm-hmm. who famously a part of that game, um, has uh, like equips like a katana and like goes kind of on like a killing spree. So you'll fight Solid Snake in Smash Brothers, um, who has a like one of the items that drops is called the Killing Edge. So like you'll fight him on Metal Gear Solid stage with that weapon, and when, if you beat him, you get the Raiden sticker. So it's it's stuff like that where they try and incorporate elements of the character that the sticker is based off of uh-huh. into what it is. Um, so it's it's they're, they're neat little callbacks. Yeah, like that, that sounds neat. Um, there's a ton of music in it. Um, I I love just like playing the the punch out theme anytime I'm fighting mm-hmm. anyone, just because I think it's a, a great theme or like some some good uh, Street Fighter Two tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great time with it. I'm not going to go too too long on these next two because I did talk about them a bit uh, and led into this next one with my talk on Slay the Spire. But uh, I really liked playing Into the Breach and it's my number two. Um, from, the ma- from the makers of FTL, <clears throat> it is a puzzle game, kind of. A puzzle strategy game. The one where you you control... A team of like three mechs who have uh, two abilities, and you have like one move and one action per mech per turn, and then you're fighting an army of bugs who are trying to destroy the city and kill you. Right. Um, and the goal is to save the city, squash the bugs, uh, you know, power it's up like your mechs. Isometric style. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy Tactics ish. Yep. It's layout. It's on like a twelve by twelve. A 12 by 12 seems too big. Like an 8 by 8 grid. It never gets any bigger than that. And it's... It's just... It is great by way that it presents everything that you need to plan out your turn every time you take a turn. There's never anything like, oh, I didn't know that would happen. Or like, I didn't know that he was going to attack that. Like, it shows you. So whether you're playing your turns where you're going around and you're like crushing all the bugs every turn or you're just like body blocking shots or you're just pushing the bugs out of the way so their uh, their like shot will just like whiff by. Um, all of that information is presented. The turn order in which things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you can trick the bugs into hitting each other. It's just a, it is a great game. Um, it's, I unfortunately got a little burnt out on it. Um, there's a, you know, you unlock shit. There's like 24 different mechs that you unlock just after like playing. Uh, if you do achievements like blocking the bugs spawning a certain number of times, then you, uh, you know, get a coin. And if you get like six, then you can unlock this team of mechs. And they're, mm-hmm. they, they play completely differently. Um, but there's there's one where if you get all of the achievements like that, then you can unlock like basically a bug team where you play as bugs that have been like mind controlled but I just I wanted to try them out but it's just way too much fucking work mm-hmm. um, some of the teams just aren't in a play style that I, that I jive with so <clears throat> it's been on a bunch of uh, year end lists um, and they say it, it, depending how perfect you want to be you could spend like an hour planning out all your turns for like the next couple turns just yeah. to have the most perfect uh, you know ratio of damage like highly efficient defense. yeah yeah Basically, it's from what I heard, it's all about like efficiency management. Yeah, with your fewest number of moves to do like the most good for your team. Yeah, and there's there's only one point that has an element of randomness in it, and it's 
when your buildings get attacked, there is a, and you can upgrade the percentage, but it's between 10% and 30% chance that the attack misses. But that's the only time there's any randomness at all. That's good. Some some of those isometric games, you could like plan out completely and your mech attacks someone and it misses. Yeah. Or there's like a percent chance to hit. And it's almost like, God, the game, you're cheating me. Yeah. Like a big complaint people have about the XCOM series, which is a similar like turn-based strategy thing, is that like you'll run up on an alien with a shotgun and be point blank and it'll say, this attack has a 95% chance to hit and you'll miss. And it's like, I am, like, I, I could touch you. And you're telling me I'm going to miss with, like, a shotgun blast <laughs> on a stationary target? Like, eat shit, game. Like, you're just trying to fuck me. Um, but this does not do that at all. So, it's 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 great. I, I, I love the process of breaking down a turn. Uh, for a while, the subreddit was really active where they would kind of post, like, a, Hey, I'm stuck. What should I do? Mm-hmm. And they just show the turn order and the abilities all their max had, and it was it was cool just to look at it and be like, oh, I speak this language now mm-hmm. that I've played this game. Um, but I recommend it to everyone. Uh, all these games it's on my fun. list, other than Smash and God of War, they're all pretty cheap. Um, yeah. So if you're hearing this, and you're not like, like hard. No. Even if you don't like traditional video games, you could play it Into the Breach. It is like. Like, if Wizard's Chess from Harry Potter didn't look so much like chess. Like, it is it is just like, you're, you're, you're playing chess with different pieces with different rules. But that's essentially all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, love that game. And then my number one game of the year, I talked about it on here a lot, is Celeste. Uh, it is... It is a nice tone piece. You know, you play as a woman who's climbing a mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unclear why you're climbing a mountain, but you're just doing it. And then the game kind of slowly exposes you to, um, well, she's in her mid-20s and she's just listless. And she doesn't have any motivation. And then you find out that, you know, she has this side to her that is like anxiety and depression. And, you know, the I know that the, the metaphor of climbing the mountain and mental health is kind of trite. And I know that it's overused a little bit, but it's really effective here. And they tell this this small story about this woman overcoming her, you know, personal, uh, her her quote unquote flaws and her triumph over them in a really smart way. Um, I, I won't say smart; it's not very inventive. I mean, the whole like embrace your flaws that makes you you mm-hmm. is essentially the message, but. Uh, they do it in a really neat way, uh, and it's just a really difficult platformer. Um, it's like 16, 32-bit style, lots of color, uh, great fucking soundtrack. That's what I hear. Um, you could go and listen to that soundtrack and enjoy the songs in it, even without playing the game. Um, but really, really challenging. Uh, I you know, got so excited when I you know, made it through the first time. And beat the game because you you know you're going through these you know bespoke levels that have themes. They introduce like a new new concept. So in the first one, there's mechanical platforms that like swing when you touch them, and they swing really hard. So if you grab on them and let go at the right time, you get like extra movement. And then another level, there's bubbles that if you jump into them, you can point in a direction and it'll shoot straight in that line. But like only until you hit something will you stop. Like you can't get out of it any other way. So it's like they introduce these elements one at a time. And then the final ascent is like 
all of those kind of combined into one like melee of concepts. Hmm. And it's a lot of fun as you're doing this final climb uh, where you start seeing um, like uh, mile markers where it's like they start counting you down to like the peak. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just a really fun game. Really difficult. But like anything like Super Meat Boy, as soon as you die, you respawn in less than a second to oh, like nice. to smash your head against it again. Um, but we recommend it to everyone. Uh, uh, there's an easy mode that adds more platforms. So if you're not as good at games or you don't think you have like the, you know, the, the Twitch muscle response that mm-hmm. it really does require sometimes, um, easy mode will, will like add some, some crutches for you. Fun. Um, but it's really great. So yeah. That's a great top five. Thanks. Yeah, you got me to play them all. So yeah, Slay the Spire, Bloodstained, Smash Ultimate, Into the Breach, Celeste. Love it. TJ, have you played any video games you want to highlight from 2018? No. Okay. Well, you don't have to. All right. All right. Well, we can move on. Uh, So that's our video game roundup for 2018. I don't think I I did. Chris, not for 2018. Chris, as always, pulled his weight, and I did not, as always. Incredibly thoughtful. It makes me want to play more games, so you've done your job. Yes. If you guys ever need game recommendations, I am always As a wire here, I will Google game recommendations. (laughs) Chris's recommendations. Google recommendations wiki. All right, let's move on to our favorites. Or actually, no, we're going to take a little break from talking about things we loved. Yeah. And we're going to talk about things that disappointed us in the world of movies in 2018. So, uh, we, you know, up to five movies you want to name. You can name fewer. TJ can check out of this one if he wants to as well. Um, so you can just take the, I love movies. <laughs> Nothing. They all please me. Um, David, do you want to go first in the... Uh, this time around, sure. In the, you know, your yeah. the worst of the worst of the year in film for you. Yep. With the uh, caveat that we all understand how difficult it is to make a movie. If you make it, it's a Herculean effort to begin with, and there's probably a good idea somewhere that kind of got just mistranslated. There, also, there always has to be a worst. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're ranking your, your top ten movies, which we're gonna do in a little bit here, one of them is the worst of your ten. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Normally number 10, if we did it right. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. We'll see. My list gets weird around uh, around number E. I forgot four, like I always do. I put mine in a circle. <laughs> I think uh, last year, all five of my top worst were Netflix original movies. <laughs> this time, four of the five are Netflix original <laughs> movies. Uh, number five, I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go Dumplin'. I don't know what I was expecting, but it just, yeah, what, what I got wasn't that uh, interesting. I honestly, I was expecting more Dolly Parton, and when I didn't Me get too. it, I disliked it more. Because it's you got, got a, zero Dolly Parton. <laughs> it's got an original song that's like on the short list for Academy Awards, and it, it is advertised as like Dolly Parton yeah. lovers. She's come like here. the Hollywood Reporter interview for it. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, we're talking to Dolly Parton about Dumplin'. It's like, oh, people just sing Dolly Parton songs in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. There's like a lifetime movie, Code of Many Colors, that, uh, you know, at least has Dolly Parton in it, and it features, like, Dolly Parton when she was a kid. This is way less, uh, way more levels removed from that. Is she in it at all? No. 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 What? Does, does not appear at all. <laughs> I thought your complaint was, like, she's only in it for a little bit. No, like she's not in the movie. It's not about Dolly Parton at all. That is insane. That's all I knew about Dumplin' and was Dolly Parton. And it's not even really about how much she loves Dolly Parton. 
No, it's about a beauty pageant. <laughs> yes. And with characters that inexplicably are obsessed with Dolly Parton and are like 16 years old in 2018, it's a little well, inter- it, interesting. Well, it's explicit. It's, I mean, yeah, that's it's, true. It's, 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 it's passed ant. down. Yeah. And uh, it, it kind of just touches on things that I don't think it has any interest in really delving deep into. Like, the the world of drag is kind of just used as a... It's a sideshow. It's like a gag. a funny plot point where I don't think in 2018 it should just be played for giggles. Like, there's enough meaningful content about that. Whole, you know, everyone should know it's an entire world now. Rather than kind of just use, you know, people dressing up in drag face for a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, just kind of disappointing. I think the the main character was in a movie called uh, Patty Cakes. It was like acclaimed for Patty yeah, Cakes. Yeah, Patty Cakes, and just there's not really anything there to the movie. I guess I, I enjoyed Dublin. I, I mean, I didn't like love it, yeah. but I thought it was pretty good. My dad David also is the best of us at not watching like horrible movies. <laughs> yeah, my I guess my expectation is a lot higher for for stuff. If I hear about it and want to go see it, this is like, I really want to like it. Right. And it's just kind of disappointing for me. I was just looking up her name because I wanted to reference Patty Cakes mm-hmm. before you did because she got a lot of love for Patty Cakes, right? It's Patty Cakes. It's a big Sundance hit about like this this white... Girl who wants to be like a rapper? Yeah, she wants to be a rapper. It's Patty Cakes with like a dollar sign. Yes. She's got like cornrows. And then in this one she plays like a West Texas, like she loves Dolly Parton. But uh, she was also in Bird Box, if anybody's seen that yet. Yeah. The most irritating character in Bird Box. Yes. Well, there you go, Dumplin'. Uh, number four, I'm going to go, uh, it's not good, but I didn't expect it to be that good. <laughs> Late Entry, Super Troopers 2. Oh, I forgot that movie existed. <laughs> Man, that came up on HBO <laughs> recently, and we heard a piece of the Canadian accents, and we're like, this is fucking awful. It's, it's pretty bad. There's some funny Canadian stuff in it, uh, but it is, uh, I think my entire Letterbox review is like, we all know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks for them, man, because, I mean, they really had a pretty good run. The, what sucks is, like, the time, like, between the movies. So it's like, you would think that they would have really had time to put together lots of great ideas for this movie. Yeah, knowing the group, they probably, like, procrastinated until the last minute to come up with a script. <laughs> they were like, oh, God, the Kickstarter worked. Yeah. You yeah. gotta make a movie now. The movie opens up in a like dream sequence that is just weird. It's like all the broken lizard guys are in a band and their tour bus gets pulled over by Sean William Scott and Damon Wayne's Jr. And they kinda st- they still squander that. <laughs> like the- and uh yeah, it's just kind of it's it's a lazy movie. It's like by far their worst for you. Um I mean I I hated Poe Cruiser. I couldn't. I didn't understand if it was a comedy or not. But I never saw Puddle Cruiser. Yeah. Actually, awesome. I never saw Slime and Salmon either. I don't think. I think I saw it. So it's probably on that level. <laughs> In about a year or two, I'm gonna say I think I saw Super Troopers too. <laughs> I just have a lot of affection for those guys. That's a movie I saw in the theater. I mean, we both saw in the theater like four or oh, five I did. times. Yeah. And I love Super it's Troopers and so Club Dread yeah. and, and Beer Fest. Beer Fest, great. yeah. They're, they're all a lot of fun, and this just uh, this doesn't get up to be that much fun. I think they... they well, that's sad. That's like the only thing you wanted to <laughs> Yeah, I think... The, it's fun. The mistake, which is weird, is they put too much plot in there, rather than just getting to hang out with the guys and their shenanigans. Too many references to what they did in the first movie, too many callbacks. And I think that's just like comedy sequelitis a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think people get bogged down in plot sometimes. I wonder if that's what happened with that <clears throat> with that film. Like, I, I know I love Super Troopers, and I also know I can't tell you what happens in that movie. You, you know, don't, you don't remember Mr. Chimpo? Yeah, but I don't know what he did, why <laughs> yeah. it was a thing. So, in the first movie, is like a drug smuggling thing, and the second movie is a drug smuggling thing. Yeah, I could have told you <laughs> drug smuggling thing, I guess, but I couldn't tell you the plot. <laughs> Yeah. If you got the time to kill, I mean, I guess you could do worse than it. There's there's maybe a chuckle or two in there, but yeah. second screen or maybe third screen experience. Third screen. Uh, number three for me is uh, the worst title of the year, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. <laughs> I'm not writing all that down. Yeah, nope, yeah. write it. You started this. Yeah, You'll this, this was, uh, I'm not going to speak too much about this. I started this. the concept of, of an end of the, oh, okay. <laughs> I won't speak too much about this because I talked about it in the, in the podcast, but it, it was right in the run of like Set It Off and for all the, the boys I've loved before, uh, yeah. Netflix's rom-coms being set up. And this was one in World War II. It had uh, um, Glenn Powell from Set It Up, and it had, uh, uh, I think, um, what's the girl from uh, Baby Driver? Baby. Ba- no, that's not Baby. <laughs> Baby's the guy. Darkest Hour. In Darkest Hour, yeah. So she's like in Downton Abbey and stuff. She's in it, and it's like World War Two, and it's an interesting, you know, slice of life. This British island that was actually occupied by the Germans, and uh, it's just it's just not very good. And I don't think it. Feel like we're so we feel so bad when we get to that point where we have to go. And yeah, it sucks. So like, I've got to listen to movies. I'm about to savage. Yeah, me too. I, I, I wanted it to be good. I wanted it to be fun. I think they spend more time on the sets and the costumes than they do giving people interesting things to say or actual motivation that makes sense. So that's all I'll, I'll kind of say about it. No one here is ever going to watch it. So yeah. Lily James. Lily James, there you go. And I really hate the title. I really do hate the title. Yeah. I just read that Guernsey Taters. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's it. You get to this. Um, num- two. Number two. So the top two are kind of the most disappointing for me. Um, this one is maybe the uh, the the I didn't get it award winner <laughs> because other people seem to like it or have better opinions of it. Is Hold the Dark. For me, it was a big disappointment, like, wanting Jeremy Saulnier, and it's got a stacked cast, and uh, besides the shootout, I just found the whole thing muddled, confusing as to what characters actually wanted, and the mystery, rather than, you know, be interesting, I thought was just holding me back, and I don't think it knew what it wanted to do. That was a weird one for the group, right? Like, it's got... Not like acclaim, like critical acclaim, but people generally like it. And all four of us kind of felt the same way about it, didn't we? Yeah. We were yeah. kind of like, meh. <laughs> yeah. Some, some critics out there, you know, kind of stand for it a little bit. Or it's at least mixed enough that's, that it's kind of 50-50. Some people don't like it. Some people really do like it. And I just, I, I can't get to where I, I would like it. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I don't think any of us liked it. And for yeah. me, a disappointment just because I was so looking forward to Jeremy Saulnier's... The uh, first, like, teaser or whatever on Netflix looked I was like oh shit yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I may have seen it like as soon as it came out it's one of those I was really excited for and disappointing and my number one uh, worst movie of the year is uh, one, the first movie I saw of the year it still holds that spot Cloverfield Paradox <laughs> oh yeah I never saw that I think it's still the last uh, movie article I wrote <laughs> movie review for it <laughs> it broke you yeah it turned me off of movies um, again, a disappointment. 
a. Uh, Huge disappointment. I think it really betrays the audience of that franchise, especially after Ten Cloverfield Lane was so impressive and surprising, and it's just so slapdash. It, the the effects are pretty much, you know, we ended up seeing Event Horizon later in the year. It's basically Event Horizon, <laughs> yeah. just with Cloverfield ish, and kind of that like, and nothing really Cloverfield about it until no. the end. Yeah, and you could tell that that was done like six months later. They shot the tie-in, and it's just so... Because um, the movie was like filmed for a while without them knowing it was going to be a Cloverfield tie-in. Yeah. Without the actors knowing? Without anybody knowing. <laughs> they were just going to make this movie. Yeah. yeah. And then they were like, oh no, we need to save it. Let's call it Cloverfield something, and we'll put a monster yeah. in the end. Like, yeah, that seems like a bad recipe for a movie. Yeah. I'm kind of jumping in because this is my fifth movie, worst movie of the year. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's openly manipulative and I think really betrays its audience and doesn't deliver anything that's really original or interesting. So I was like dozing off near the end of it. I remember asking Cass, I was like, anything happened at the end? And she was like, you should rewind it just to look at that monster. It was real big. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, fine. <laughs> I'll do that. So um, just Google real big monster instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you mind if I keep going? Since Absolutely, was, since we've already, we know you're from number know five. My number five is Cloverfield Paradox. Um, that makes me feel bad that I watched four worst movies in that. That's, that's too many. Your number you one worst movie year. is going to be in my number five, and we're just going to keep going. <laughs> my number four was one that we actually signed for homework, and I think I signed it. Um, but it was, and it's sad because it's Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon, and I fucking love it, oh, but yeah, it's Fahrenheit yeah. 451. The, uh, I guess really it's a made-for-TV movie, but with streaming and shit, I get I get confused in that now. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's weird because I don't know why it didn't work. It just none of it did. Yep. There's nothing good about that movie, really. Mm-hmm. Even the acting, which is just Shocking. two of my like top twenty actors that are currently working. Yeah. yeah Michael B. Jordan and Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> yeah, my bad. And they just like they would like dwell on the shit that was so cool in the book. Uh, where like all the people were named after the book they had memorized, and I felt like they spent like way too much time on that. Like Michael B. Jordan wasn't really good at it. Michael Shannon had good moments at the beginning, but they just mm-hmm. they turned too quick. I mean, I don't really remember how I think we were all kind of lukewarm on it at the time, and we didn't want to shit on MBJ and Michael Shannon too much. But I think we all thought it was pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. I wasn't. Uh, you weren't part of that. Yeah. Lucky. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was not good. Number three, uh, also based off a classic piece of literature. Chris did see this one, A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Number three. I forgot about that. Movie. <laughs> it's like the movie that the year forgot. Uh, yeah. Although it did help me win a Learn League quiz the other day. <laughs> the fictional maps one. I scrolled into the, the names. It was a fictional maps Charles, one day. Charles, I saw uh, Charles Wallace. I was like, go fucking Charles Wallace. God damn it. <laughs> Stupid fucking kid. <laughs> so everybody called him Charles Wallace. They're getting chased like a giant monster. Charles Wallace. Just be like, look out. <laughs> Chuck. See Daddy. Come on. See <laughs> Daddy. He was running like, the network or me. <laughs> uh... It's just so bad. The movie's so bad. Everyone, everyone who has the has the ability to overact does, and then everyone else can't act. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like yeah, everyone else is Oprah. It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> nice piece of business there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Galifianakis like definitely overacts in his little scene. Mindy Kaling and Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. like they're they're mind boggling. 
<laughs> yeah, you'll notice like random shots of Mindy Kaling's face, and she'll just be like, "It's <laughs> like, oh, are you bad? <laughs> I think you're a bad person." I don't think that movie had a plot either. I know they're trying to find her dad, and then a bunch of stuff happens, and then they find him. They're like when they That's go the to the, when they go to the first place, and it's just like. I am large Oprah now. <laughs> it's like, why are you so big? Uh, like, uh, oh, the uh, science. science, the lift. No, but the 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 big Oprah thing because she's like, I don't really have a form, so I take on whatever form I want. So I'm a this like colossal thousand foot woman because that's you know not unsettling. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't her contract. <laughs> yeah, but then like it just it's such a bad joke from a bad movie. But a Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. <laughs> when he goes on the date with that like seven foot tall woman, there's always someone in the background who goes, That's a huge bitch! <laughs> <laughs> and I could not think of that. <laughs> when Oprah towers on screen and everyone's just like, Hey, cool, big Oprah. It's <laughs> a big O. But number two, he's also based off a piece of classic literature, which I also read this year. But uh, I was going to read part of my review of the movie from the website. I was looking for pictures to use for this review and came across the following fun fact on IMDb. The last quote in the quote section is the following. Mac, what's that? One of four people found this interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the Meg. Is what I'm talking about. The Meg is a fucking awful. Uh, it really was a quote on IMDb. <laughs> what's that? <laughs> One of four people found this interesting. Like, that's about right. Who's that one person? I don't know. I talk about it. <laughs> that one sad person thought that quote was interesting. All it took was a what's that to make the guy watching the bag think for a minute. <laughs> what is, is that? It, is it watch list worthy? Not this shark. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, don't watch the bag. Didn't you watch it? No. You never did? No, I started it drunk three times. That's really, really bad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like my favorite part about the Meg though is that they were like, "All right, big shark, we got it. All right, they killed the shark. Oh no, thirty minutes in, we need another shark. <laughs> they just keep bringing up sharks. They want they want to kill the shark in three different ways. Like, uh, we'll just have three sharks. Actually, keep the power on at the Meg factory. We did not need just one. Uh, it rides the blood of its first kill. That's how it gets from the bottom of the, so do I. the top. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? What could possibly have been worse than the Meg? Uh, it's a Netflix original. It is my only to date .5 star review on Letterboxd. And it's Game Over Man. Oh. From the, the Workaholic Boys. But it had Shaggy. It did. <laughs> it did have Shaggy, bro. Uh, I think he was good. forced to... Like, did you watch it? No. Okay. <laughs> I think he was forced to uh, give somebody a blowjob at some point, maybe? Or offered to? In real life? Died, anyway. <laughs> he was able to deny Yeah, this it was, this was in casting. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't in the film. Now, I don't remember much about the movie except for it seemed like, oh, it's all the worst parts of, like, American Pie 4. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this one's got worse as it went on. <laughs> it's just, like, nothing but crude humor. Uh... And like really bad stunt work because it's like kind of like a diehard situation. Yeah, like they took over a hotel or something. You either uh, got to like ground it or be believable in the action, and it sounds like it didn't either. If uh, you're gonna no, go awful. action comedy, it's a lot of just the three of them bitching at each other and like, you know, you never believe me. You're not my real friend. Yeah, if you don't like their rapport, 
Well, and I don't hate them. Like, I'm not as low on uh, What's-His-Face as you are. Yeah, the guy who's as memorable as What's-His-Face. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Adam Divine. Yes. Levine. Yes. Nope. Yep. Divine. Okay. Let's start being together, though. Adam Divine, Adam Levine. Uh, yeah, so stay away from all those movies. But uh, Game Over Man was particularly just fucking a miserable ride. All right. Chris, do you have a bottom five movies? I do have a bottom five, and I ranked them. All right. Hmm. Uh, my number five was homework that was assigned by someone, and I just fucking hate horse movies. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the worst movies I saw this year was The Rider. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't... I really hope it's a Brit's top ten. <laughs> I couldn't bear watching this movie, but I had to because you guys make me. Uh, and by the time it was over, I felt younger um, because I knew that I didn't have this on the horizon to watch anymore. <laughs> if you if it wasn't assigned, when would you have turned it off? I wouldn't have turned it on <laughs> when he saw the picture. I watched The Princess Switch by choice. It's not in my bottom five. <laughs> I, uh, uh, real quick on the router, I was looking at Letterboxd a few days after that, and like that was one of the three or four times me and Brent have like, we're arguing about a film a lot, and I got Letterboxd, and he gave it four stars, and I gave it three and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's like, God damn it! You spent like 40 minutes trying to convince me that movie was a piece of shit, and then gave it three and a half stars. If I, if I think that movie's a piece of shit, then you think Three Billboards is a piece of shit. We, we're good to go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Love y'all. I rewatched Three Billboards. It was my worst movie of the year. <laughs> no. Number four, Chris. Uh, is Ibiza. 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 Um, it's the Jillian Jacobs, Gillian Jacobs. All these things are hard to pronounce. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. It's the Jacobs. On. Yeah. I'm, I'm a young 20-something writer for a magazine, and I'm being flown out to fall in love with this DJ, uh, and it's a constant me. party, and we're dancing, and there's bad music, and I just fucking hate I'm everything I'm already bored. It. That one's disappointing, because it's like it's got likable actresses in it. Yes. It's got her, and it's got uh, Vanessa Bayer, yep. right? And Phoebe Robinson, I yep. think? Yes. She's a good comedian and has a really funny podcast. Yeah. I really like all, th- all three of them, and they are capable of funny moments in the movie, but it it shackles you to the least interesting character of the three, who is also the least funny and least charming. Hmm. And so you're stuck with this self-obsessed party chaser who's just one more time with my girls before, I don't know, she dies? Like, I don't <laughs> understand why time is running out for her. But that's what she's treating it as, like... Never get to go on work trips. It's like, you got sent on this on a whim. It's going to fucking happen again. Your life kind of rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you don't really do much work. Uh, your boss sucks, but, like, so does, like, the, everyone's does, kind of. Yeah. Some <laughs> at some point in your life, you had a to, boss that sucked. It's, some people get flown out to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> no, <laughs> no shade on Akron, Ohio, but, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I just hated what this movie stood for. Which was nothing. (laughs) I hate nothing. (laughs) Anyway, my third uh, least liked movie of the year is... uh, Man, these movies make their way to my list every year. The Fifty Shades Freed. I struggled with putting it at number one just as a statement, but I don't really care. It was your worst movie of the year last year, wasn't it? 
It not was. this one. That'd be weird. <laughs> the one that came. I out remember. Last I think year. I had last year's at like number three. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fifty Shades Freed is just more nonsense uh, with people who are too rich to have real problems, um, and it's just threatening to other movies that it exists. Um, it's so bad. There's just it's terrible. There's no chemistry. I would watch Hayden Panettiere, not Hayden Panettiere, uh, Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen in the <laughs> original trilogy. Not the original trilogy. Man, <laughs> you are struggling through this sentence. I hate this we movie just, so much. <laughs> I just hate it. Um, it was one of the first ones I watched of the year, too. So when I was scrolling down my letterbox for, by date added, I found it and I was like, oh, I really hope I watched that last year. And I didn't. So it's on my <laughs> list this year. Um, it sucks. Like, like, read the books. Like, I guess they're better, but they're also not good. It's like, if I, if I came to you, TJ, and I go, here, I have this thing. It's really bad, but I'm going to turn it into a movie. And if your question isn't like, oh, well, then isn't it going to be bad? Then you'd be an idiot. <laughs> so I don't, I, this is obviously people capitalizing on the success of something that was a flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah, by the time it got made, it's like, yeah, no one remembers that that was a book or a craze at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my number two and number one, almost so bad I don't feel like using many words. Number two is Bad Samaritan. I saw it recently. It's from the maker of Geostorm, if that tells you anything. Also on my list last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, you talked about this recently. Yeah, yeah, David Tennant is a serial killer. Oh, yeah. Um, as is revealed late in the game. Uh, interesting premise. Valets break into a house and find a woman chained up and, you know, want to save her. Yeah, it sounded super... Like, yeah. The plot was interesting. Yeah, this one sounds like it's more in the disappointing category. It is. It, it was. It's just, it had a great trailer. It Yeah. So. It just struggles throughout with kind of staying on track of telling the story that it needs to tell. Yeah. Um, and it's just just frivolous in the way that it, it squanders its probably lots of money, lots of lots of dollars and uh, acting talent. Um, and Dan Devlin is uh, Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin is a, a menace to Hollywood. That's a disappointment. That movie did look like it had some. Yeah. Had something about it. That's <laughs> why I watched it. And I think the worst movie of the year is uh, The Titan. Mm. I, I watched this so long ago that is I think that everyone forgot me talking about the weird... Is this the Avatar sequel? No. But yes. <laughs> the one with Sam the... Worthington turns himself through a government uh, experiment into an alien. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yep. Through gene splicing. Uh, I just fucking... It's just... It's unwatchable. And how bad it is! Uh, I thought it was going to be an interesting little turn of sci-fi fiction, and it was just just man. That is like awful, the worst awful. compliment you can give to a movie, I guess. <laughs> Unwatchable. Yeah, it's compliment. <laughs> the worst one. <laughs> okay. What part did I say? Where, where am I wrong? <laughs> um, don't watch the Titan. Um, it's. Dog shit. You know, search our site if you want to hear my my first take on it. Uh, but I can't. Man, this this list is sad. At least I didn't watch more than about ten movies that I thought were bad this year. Yeah, going up for my list on that, it quickly gets to movies that I wouldn't feel bad having in the bottom five. Yeah, <laughs> A Wrinkle in Time was an oversight that really should have been on my list of worst movies of the year. But um, outside of those like six or seven, there's nothing that I really want to drag. Um, so, yeah, uh, I did a, this is probably the best year I ever had for avoiding bad movies. Like I just, mm -hmm. 
you guys would all see these things first, and then you would tell me about them, and I'd be like, okay, not going to waste my time with that. Me and Chris are like, you and David's like canaries. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Go out to Netflix, come back. And Cold Mind was dark. <laughs> Dude, TJ and I have this like broken sociopathy where... Like, any of us will recommend something, TJ and I will go like, I didn't hear it. <laughs> um, you guys just don't trust anybody. <laughs> so, I'm instead, uh, I only have one movie uh, that was just hugely disappointing to me. Because um, I don't really want to pick on movies that were, like, slightly disappointing. Like, Ready Player One. That feels wrong to put that yeah, in the yeah, right. five. Rampage is, like... But, like, Ready Player One literally was one of the five worst movies I saw this year. That's how good of a year I had. Like, yes. For watching good movies. Um, but the one movie that just really disappointed me because it completely lacked any and all ambition whatsoever was Solo. A Star mm. Wars story. Nah. A movie that I almost instantly forgot when I watched uh, when I walked out of the movie theater. Um, it just really... It's such a detour from like what The Last Jedi brought, which is just so much ambition that even, when, even on the, lost, the Last Jedi's missteps here and there... At least they were trying something, and Solo just feels like the most uh, like like a computer generated plot, and it was very boring. Will you help me remember this guy's name? Because I know it's not real words that are his Alden name. Alden Ehrenreich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and where's what's crazy? I was so ready to be disappointed by him, and I thought he was good in the movie. Yeah, he did the, like the the hardest thing I thought about the movie was capturing Harrison Ford's like young charm, and I thought he did a good job at that. My problem was with, I mean, when they brought in Ron Howard to just don't make, don't offend anyone, make this a vanilla movie. Yeah, it's like punting on the forty. It was just like directed by like an insurance adjuster. <laughs> yes, <laughs> avoiding risk at all costs. And it's again, I want to stress, it's not like an awful movie, but you'll be entertained by it. You, well, well played, David. <laughs> yeah, it's a business all around. It's just it was just disappointing. I knew that movie was bad when Cassandra, who has seen two Star Wars movies. In like one sitting, actually sit and watch it, and it was Solo and The Last Jedi. And she watched The Last Jedi, and she was like, "That movie's great. Are they all that good?" <laughs> and she watched Solo, and I was like, "Do you like that?" one? she goes, eh. "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I was bored. Yeah, like, like I can, oh no, if you were bored, I remember the train sequence being a lot of fun in Solo, and I remember the last scene, sort of the the showdown on the beach with the uh, the masked people. And everything else about the movie, I have no idea what happened. I'm really proud of myself that I just remembered the name Enfys Nest. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, who's the big bad? What's his name? Enfys Nest. Who's the actor, though? I don't know. Is it Paul Bettany? Yes. yes. Seen that movie? Oh, okay, sure. Vision. I was just going to go. Is it somebody in Game of Thrones or MCU? Probably that's the whole world. <laughs> of actors. And one of the two. The, the two bad guys are in Game of Thrones and then MCU. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It makes me wonder if there's going to be some, like, bootleg pirate version of the Lord Miller version of that somewhere. What? You said version. What now? The Lord (laughs) Miller version of that movie. Before Ron. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they had directed almost the entire movie, and that's what made the budget so crazy, is they had to go back to, like, ground one. Does any of that. I said made sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) My hammer is broke. All right. And the worst part of it is the burnt toast. So <laughs> we all smell right now. <laughs> the weird thing is, like, Lord and Miller, I don't think, I don't know their production stuff that much, but I don't think that they've ever had a miss. Like, all of their movies are either super funny or incredibly lucrative. A lot of the time, both. Yeah. 
This wasn't either. It completely made, distressed it in the middle of that. It disappeared at the box office, this movie. It wasn't like a true bomb, but it was a true flop, I think. You know what I mean? It's a movie that's like... I mean, Star Wars was was gold. I mean, there's all those movies were making tons of money. Even a movie that wasn't in the main series, like Rogue One, made a, a lot of money. I wonder how like hands-on Abrams or Kennedy were with Solo. I don't know. Like, I wonder if once they brought Howard in, they were just like, do whatever you want, kind of. Because you don't need to, you know what I mean? Yeah, fix this shit, Lord and I got weird with it. Yeah. <laughs> this whole yeah. movie was also sort of doomed from the beginning because it wasn't, it's not... It, it wasn't something we talked, that, to, we talked about well, the Star Wars problem of they pick topics and make people write movies about them instead of people just writing movies about Star Wars that they want to write. Yeah. Which is kind of what they did with, not to turn the end of this into a Star Wars cast, but it's what Abrams did with Ryan Johnson. He was like, here's this, do whatever you want with this. And the people that don't like it are like, he wrote that before the first movie even came out. It's like, he didn't write anything. I mean, he wrote some dialogue for it, but Abrams told him how The Last Jedi was yeah, ending. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it wasn't Ryan Johnson's decision to kill off Snoke, which is the popular Reddit theory mm-hmm. that Ryan Johnson ruined like the coolest villain ever. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, the internet's stupid. <laughs> TV. Uh, let's go back to things we like. I thought you were going to say that Solo was doomed to fail when the internet collectively cried out, "Why well, we need a Solo movie?" I mean, I would never wanted one, but I'm not. Yeah. So. I just wanted to get that out there. We can talk about TV now. Yeah. Like The Mandalorian, which is coming out, and it's now confirmed, eight 45-minute episodes. Huh. That means Disney Plus. When is Disney Plus releasing? Do we know? I thought it was supposed to be out by now. Yeah. I think end of January. Okay. End of February? I don't know. All we right. need a news segment or something. Yeah. I've got two TV shows that I really, really loved <laughs> that I want to recommend to anybody who wants to watch TV. Well, then go ahead. They're both on Netflix. Hmm. Um... One is Maniac. Anybody here watch Maniac? I did. Okay. Um, really, really fun. Also, really fun to see Emma Stone and Jonah Hill together again. Um, I absolutely was in love with the storytelling. It's super interesting. It's super fast-paced. Hilarious at times. I mean, it goes from like everywhere to time travel to the 1980s to like space travel to like essentially Middle Earth. Um, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I just love I love the the concept they did with it and just the the direction in it was so bold and adventurous. The Carrie Fukunaga doing every single one is just such a great model. Yeah, because it's just so so much visual flair there, flair there. <laughs> <laughs> but it lets those uh, actors and actresses just you know flex on all these different genres. But they st- they still like thread the same humanity of their character throughout it all. You can kind of tell with the same people. Yeah. He does a great job. Uh, Thoreau is really good. Um, yeah. Acting in a thing created by, I forget the guy, the creator's name now, but he was a writer on The Leftovers. Um, and, man, I was when I was reading that before the podcast, though, he, he said like this, he was the main writer for season two of The Leftovers, and he said his main influence for season two was Friday Night Lights. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I need to watch Leftovers again. I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't get it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Maniac, highly recommended. Um, everybody that I know that's seen it liked it, uh, especially if you're kind of, I don't know, into wild rides in your TV shows or movies. I also love the production design of the alternate history 
of technology. Yeah. It comes to like, it's kind of like the 80s, but with different technology. Right. They just really do some really fun and funny stuff with that. Yeah. Uh, also, a show that I don't think anybody watched it was a BBC hit um, written by uh, Judd Mercurio, who's like a huge BBC uh, writer, wins lots of awards over there. Uh, he writes like the Frankenstein from 2007, Line of Duty, which is still there, Lady Saturday's Lover, like all those like four episode BBC series yeah. that are critically acclaimed. Uh, but he wrote and created Bodyguard, um, which is a super fun political thriller. I started it. Yeah? I finished yeah. it. Oh, did you? Yeah. The, the pilot is riveting. The pilot is really, really good. Yeah. And the second episode is really, really good. And then the third episode is really good. And then it's almost over. So what you're saying is it's really, really good? I think it's only six episodes, right? Yeah, it's real short. I didn't yeah. love the finale just because it gets a little preposterous. But it is building up to that preposterousness yes honestly kind of yeah um but really fun and I thought the two leads were pretty dynamic together yeah Becky <laughs> mom eventually like two I watched like three episodes in a row and I was like I don't think I'm hearing mom anymore it's just like <laughs> in one in the the big fat quiz of 2018 that. they had a new story where uh, some people who weren't watching some like Americans thought that there was like an incestuous relationship. They thought she was a <laughs> <her> mom. <laughs> <laughs> or that they were role-playing that. Oh, uh, weird. That would have been a fun turn in that movie. <laughs> so those are your two? Yeah, I only had two that I really wanted to recommend for well, this year. this works out. I have three. So we'll have a top five between us, basically. All right, mine are the top two. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Uh, my number three TV show that I watched this year was Sharp Objects, the HBO series, which was a uh, Southern Gothic mystery. Uh, I really liked it. It was it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I know I talked about it a good bit on the on the podcast, yeah. but I thought Amy Adams did a great job. Um, yeah. Whoever whoever played the sister does a fantastic yeah. job. Eliza Scanlon, that's who's, it. Who's now going to be in uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women? She's 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 got a, a path opening up for her. Mm-hmm. She she is great in that. Is Greg Gerwig directing Little Women? Yes. Is it a period piece? Yes. Ooh. And it's got Timothy Chalamet. It's got all the best boys and best girls in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think like like mumblecore in the like Victorian era. <laughs> Just wondering how interesting that's going to be. <laughs> Instead of three D glasses, they give out nooses. <laughs> God. <laughs> Anyway, Sharp Objects is good. <laughs> I liked it a lot, too. Yeah. Um, my number two uh, TV show of the year was the uh, Netflix Haunting of Hill House, which I know I recommended strongly to everyone. Uh, just a fun horror series. Yeah, you scared me of how to watch that one. Because <laughs> the, the first night I watched it, it was like 1 a.m. <laughs> I was like, let's see what this is. I watched the first five minutes. I was like, nah. You were like, I'll watch The Exorcist for trivia. And you started exorcism just like the the, the store started. Somebody's just walking there and was like, nah, I'll read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Hanging a Hill House winds up being a, just a really good story about a single family at two different points in their lives. Also, where's Waldo? When Waldo's a terrifying ghost. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Waldo's in like uh, a lot of scenes. Yeah. Um, and uh, my number one TV show of the year was... Uh, David versus Goliath. 
Oh, season yeah. 37 of Survivor. <laughs> I've seen that on like people's top 10 list where everything yeah. else is a narrative and it's like number two. Like, I mean, it was a fantastic fucking season. This it's one of the funniest seasons of TV I've seen in a long time. I think yeah. I just looked it up. It was your number five last year for top TV. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. Well, it was a stronger year this year. Yeah. It's a different year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not the same cast of characters. <laughs> that, that's where you messed up. It's a different year than last year. <laughs> so. It's, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, like I said, it was, uh, I think it was, um, Shit. We should have been talking IndyWire, about Vice. Maybe was it Vice? Vice had it like at number two or something. Somebody from Vice named it their best show of 2018. I think it was someone on Collider I saw had it at number two with a bunch of narrative shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was fantastic television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I forgot I watched that, honestly. Chris, how about you? Uh, I didn't really watch anything that I want to talk about. Okay. I wasn't, wasn't really a very... I, I tried to play more games and didn't really do great at that. Uh, I was just not not really into into serials this year. Sure. No, there's a lot of stuff I really wanted to watch. I just couldn't get around to it for whatever reason. It takes longer to watch the movies. It does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you if you ask me, like the, the 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 top of the mind answer would be Great British Bake Off, and that's not you know really in the running. Yeah. So um, obviously, Survivor was a great season, and I watched that. We talked about it ad nauseum. So. Sure. We can call that my number one with all the British baking shows as number two. The, yeah, uh, actually, TV shows. I caught part of British Bake, bake Off and I really uh, loved what I saw. And then I also caught part of uh, Queer Eye and really loved what I saw. But those were kind of it for me. Not to quote another podcast on our podcast, but maybe I asked the question recently if teenagers watched the Great British Bake Off. And their answer was yes, but they call it yeast explosions. <laughs> <laughs> yeast explosions? Yeast explosions. <laughs> Alright, David. My top bring five. Us home. I, I've talked about all these uh, at some point during the podcast, which I guess is kind of like everything we've done today. I mean, yeah, hopefully nobody watched an awesome movie and just didn't talk about it. This, this is the first I've heard of Fahrenheit 451, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> I'll take out some of the stuff you guys already talked about. I guess top five. Number five for me is Amazon Prime Show Forever. Fred Armisen, Maya Rudolph. Oh, uh, yeah. You guys should really check it out. Half hour episodes, only eight, so it's only like a four hour commitment. Math. Really nice and breezy. There's a nice bottle episode breezy. with uh, bottle. Jason Mitchell and uh, Hong Chow. And uh, the show has two different crazy, bold pivots into a completely different show that I think is really uh, worthwhile. Fun. Yeah, when you talked about it the first time, I was excited about it. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me about it. Yep. Number four HBO show that I just got a lot of enjoyment out of. And it's 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 uh, super wicked humor and nice satire succession. Um, you know, the media conglomerate company, kind of uh, um, like... Uh, Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes, Ailes, yeah. Rupert Murdoch kind of thing. Brian Cox chooses scenery like he's, I don't know, on a... Hungry. Hungry, hungry hippo <laughs> bender. <laughs> Uh, and all of the uh, smaller people are great in it. Kieran Culkin, always great. And uh, uh, Matthew McFadden is incredible. And there's a person called Cousin Greg. And they have great uh, repartee back and forth. It's super caustic, but super funny. It's like uh, Veep-style humor, but better than Veep for me. For what Veep's doing now. Yeah, you were really high on that show from the get-go. What's the name of the show? Uh, Succession. Oh. And it really... Nan- it really... Uh, nailed the landing it got better each episode yeah uh, for me and really uh, was real good 
fun. It really te- really tests your ability to l- watch uh, unlikable characters. Hmm. But I think it's uh, really good. Number three, Homecoming. I talked about it. Love half-hour drama. I never knew I, I would like it so much, but the, the pace is just so great. Sam Esmail, one of my favorite TV directors right now. Mr. Robot Guy. And uh, If Beale Street Talks, Stefan James is great in it. Julia Roberts is pretty good in it. She's okay. <laughs> I wonder if they did a 30-minute drama just strictly because they were like transcribing the podcast to like script. Yeah. Because the podcast was like 28 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. In and the they, middle of the episode, they just have an ad break where they talk about Sakva mattresses. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, Loot the, box. the Homecoming <laughs> podcast feed uh, had a five-part series about making the show. And they kind of go into that, about stretching it to like uh, an hour or 45 minutes, which is like an hour with commercials. And they just said, like, we're on a streaming platform. There's no really rules anymore. Kind of like Maniac. Some Maniacs are like... Hour and 40 or 40. Yeah, one's like yeah. 28 minutes. Right. You know, really short. So, I like, uh, it's just really, uh, I like that show. Number two for me is my biggest uh, recommendation I have is Killing Eve. Um, just want a Golden like Globe. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer are great in it. Great kind of pot boiler, BBC style um, crime show. But you know both sides. And the Jodie Comer, it's sociopath, hit woman, uh, villanelle. It's one of the most interesting characters I've seen in a very long time. Um, she's kind of like a child, and she gets enjoyment out of the, the weirdest things, and she just has the best facial expressions. Um, she's kind of not really human, but human, and trying to make physical contact and emotional connections with people. And it's super funny. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge did it. She did, uh, um, what was her show Fleabag. last year? Fleabag, yeah. I really liked it. And she's like a, a English comedy um, stalwart. She created other shows. Nice. Really good. And then uh, for me, um, it's kind of a top four, and then this shows in another uh, echelon is Atlanta. Yeah. Um, it's just the best show on television for me. And uh, first season was amazing. Second season, also amazing. Uh, so many one-offs that are just some of the best TV moments, full stop for me, of the whole year. Man. Teddy Perkins is going to live in my nightmares forever. <laughs> Cassandra calls uh, like Breaking Bad, The Wire, Sopranos, those kind of shows, like TV movies. So mm-hmm. She doesn't really count them. In the same as like thirty minute shows, mm-hmm. but she says, you know, big of a Roseanne fan, Cass says, but she mm-hmm. says Atlanta's like a, a clear number two best TV show of all time. Mm-hmm. She just thinks it's absolutely incredible. I just think it's doing stuff that no other TV show is doing and executing that better than any TV show is doing right now. She talks about those three characters too, like kind of representing some African American culture in such mm-hmm. different ways. That's really really clever. Yeah, I, I've I've yet to start it because I know once I do, I'll be like glued yeah. to the couch all day. I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, it is. Um, they, they got the rights, at least first season. The I think first, second season. I don't, is it out yet? I don't know if second season is. Yeah, I don't know either. We've got the second season DVR. I told her to save it for me. Yeah. Well, great. That was uh, That's our uh, look back at 2018 in video games, TV, and... Bad movies. Womp womp movies. <laughs> uh, top ten list coming out uh, a couple days, right? Yeah, very soon. So, uh... Thanks for listening. This is Talkie Talk, the podcast for The Media Bias. You can check out our website at themediabias.com. Uh, join our groups on Facebook, TV Bias, Movies Bias, and Games Bias. You can uh, email us at mediabias@gmail.com. Tweet, tweet with us at Media Bias. Uh, the most helpful thing you could do is uh, give us a nice, healthy rating 
and subscribe to our uh, podcast on uh, whatever subscribing place you want to go to. You know where to do. And uh, last but not least, thank you to the Willow Walkers for another year of great intro music. Thanks. Thank you. And, and thank you for performing it live every episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We cramming appreciate it. Cramming into my office. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Boo Reefa for our outro Boo music. Reefa. Kicking rocks down and that's the it. Thank zeros. you, the listener. You were the best of 2018 for me. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.